THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 520. Yeah, blaze it, y'all. Light of it up. T- no, that's 400. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's all right. Of the two-headed nerd, comic book podcast, nerds, my name is Matt Bond. Are you sure we can't light it up? I mean, yeah, always, but just why don't you do your thing? All right. And I am the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing eight of Wednesday, February 27th's new comics with spotlight reviews on The Forgotten Queen, number one, and Amazing Spider-Man, number 16. Technically, you would blaze it up. Lighting it up is more of a crow kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Light it up. Light it up. I don't really really know the terminology. (laughs) Then it's down to the THM Sanctum Sanctorum. We're feeling the Mardi Gras spirit and talking about our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, we're going to check in with the first audio installment of Tales from the Marvel Lake House when our time-traveling ghost of comics past, JD, gotta catch them all, talks about life on the Marvel Unlimited app. But before any of our moloids take the stand to discuss THN internal business practices, let's denounce them as traitors spouting fake news so we can get that out of the way and talk about this week's Nerd News! Nerd News! Joe Patrick, we just had a Chinese New Year recently, and the word is, it's the year of the villain, baby. That's right. <laughs> DC will be spotlighting their villains in a year-long initiative beginning this May with Year of the Villain. This news comes from The Hollywood Reporter. On May 1st, the publisher will release a special 25-cent one-shot anthology with stories about villains tying in to upcoming Batman, Justice League, and Superman titles, including City of Bane, a story arc in Tom King's Batman, and a continuation of the current Batman Who Laughs limited series into a new title launching this summer. Writers Brian Michael Bendis, Scott Snyder, and James Tenian IV will be working with artists Alex Maleve, Jim Chung, and Francis Manipal on stories That's for this. super neato, Jimmy Chung! That is a lot of talent. Greg Capullo has drawn the primary cover with variants by... Mal- Who cares about variants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bendis has previously teased a DC event book with Maleev tying into the crime organization Leviathan. Okay, let's talk about that for just a second. We are going to touch on that in the next story. Okay, but I just want to say, we brought up this Leviathan thing about a month ago, and we were like, oh, that sounds fun. That's happening in Superman. And then all of a sudden, DC was like, year of the villain! (laughs) Right, yeah, it's true. Do you think that they reacted and were like, you know what, fuck it, let's make this a huge thing? Because this was not a story before then. Leviathan was the first thing. Suddenly we're getting Year of the Villain. Oh, so what you're saying is that we are directly responsible for Year of the Villain. No, 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 no. I'm saying DC was like, hey, this is so cool. I think that we are responsible. Oh, okay. Yes. Then yes. Because of our hard-hitting news coverage. Right. You're welcome. Yeah. Is what what we should be saying. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're welcome. (laughs) 
Uh, this Year of the Villain one-shot is scheduled for May 1st, just four days before Free Comic Book Day, one of the highest traffic days for comic retailers. I love supervillain stories, and I love it when supervillains get like the spotlight. I love it so much. That's yeah, it. Yeah, it's gotta, true. Got to be done right. Right. And also, if you recall, not too long ago, five years or so, maybe more, uh, they did longer. Villains Month. Yeah. In the new 52, where we got like quadruple the number of comics. Wasn't it Villains United or something like that? No, it was, it was called, called Villains Month. Oh, okay. Villains United. Villains United was a uh, that was that was eleven years ago, Matt. Okay, Villains Untied. That's right. Yeah, that was a that was a lead into <laughs> Infinite Crisis. That's right. That was a long time ago. No, but, I love this stuff. I'm a fool for villain stories. I I love Bane so much, and whenever they can like highlight some of these sort of B list and C list villains and make them cool again, I am heavy into that stuff. I think this will be fun as hell. I hope so. I hope so. A lot of talent behind it. Yeah. In other DC news, the publisher is launching two new Superman family titles, Lois Lane by writer Greg Rucka and artist Mike Perkins, and Jimmy Olsen by writer Matt Fraction. Remember that guy? And artist Steve Lieber. I thought uh, Matt Fraction was dead. I thought Steve Lieber was dead, too. I love Steve Lieber so much. Me, too. These titles were mentioned in DC's May 2019 solicitations as the duo will be doing a short story in May's Superman Leviathan Rising special number one. Matt Fraction coming back out of nowhere. Well, I think Greg Rucka and Matt Fraction both coming back to corporate comics is a huge deal. Well, Rucka wasn't on. He was on Wonder Woman not too long ago. With Rebirth. So that was two years, two years ago. Yeah, Matt Fraction's been gone for way longer than that. We yeah. haven't seen Matt Fraction since, like, four, right? I don't know. It's been a while, though. Yeah. and I, Thor or Iron Man? I can't remember which one ended first. I think, though, that these titles are also very interesting. A Lois Lane, and these are both ongoings. Yeah. So a Lois Lane ongoing and a Jimmy Olsen ongoing. Oh, man, I hope the Jimmy Olsen book is super weird. Oh, you know it's going like to be. Like Jack and Kirby weird. Yeah, that is the place where we should, like, reintroduce all this crap. The stupid fourth world characters. Like, oh, my God. Flip-a-dip-a and all those guys. I mean, like, go yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, the news, the Newsboy Legion. do it. Get weird with it. I'm excited I'm, about this. I'm very excited. I think this Leviathan story is very interesting. This week, I didn't review it, uh, but this week's Action Comics was amazing. It was amazing. I'm very pumped for this storyline, and I... I'm very excited to see these two huge names come back to DC. Well, Greg Rucka's just made for stuff like this, too. You've got tough heroin, plucky reporter. He can do the street-level shit with it. Matt Fraction, it's funny and creative and can go absolutely nuts with a Jimmy Olsen book. And they're going to have to to sell both of these. And I don't know. I think these guys are going to deliver. I think this is going to be great. The only downside is that the one-shot, the Leviathan one-shot that uh, sets up both these ongoing books is ten dollars for eighty pages <laughs> because that's the new standard. Uh, really? Yeah. Ten bucks for an eighty-page giant. Right. Yeah. I remember when they were five ninety-nine. Five ninety-nine, baby. That's right. <laughs> uh, but that's hey. You know what? Whatever. I'm excited for both these books. I'm excited for these creators to come back to DC. Uh, I love it. Uh, it is weird though. Uh, there's there's this kind of. You remember we we reported on this uh, big uh, to-do about Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick 
uh, leaving corporate comics behind to start their own company. Yeah. And it had all this stuff to do with like TV and movies and all this stuff. And like yeah. very quietly, it, we've seen. And they were super successful with it. And they got like now their household name. Yeah, right. And he can just come back. Sure. Right, right. Exactly. And so we've got very quietly, we've seen like, oh, Kelly Sue DeConnick is writing Wonder Woman all of a sudden. Something fell through with and that deal. I don't know what it was. Bitch Planet never comes out, and Pretty Deadly never comes out. And yeah. Matt Fraction, I don't, I don't read Low. Is Low still going? Even, I believe Low. I don't even know. Right. Honestly, like, I haven't seen an issue of it forever. Like, I, I, it's very interesting that they're just like, okay, we're gonna come back to these big name comic companies. And hey, man, you gotta pay the bills. Come on. It's true. And I don't begrudge anybody making a living, but I just hope they're doing okay is all. I do too. No, I'm with you because I love them both genuinely. And I think this is great. Joe Patrick in another nail in the Dark Horse coffin. Oh, boy. Finally, Stan Sakai's creator-owned series Yusagi Yojimbo is jumping to IDW Publishing after 24 years with Dark Horse Comics. First reported by the New York Times, the character's IDW era will begin with a new ongoing series and collections of all the previous volumes. The new volume of Yusagi Yojimbo will begin with a three-part story involving Bunraku, which is Japanese puppetry. The move from Dark Horse comes 11 months after the Yusagi Yojimbo series was relaunched with a new number one to encourage new readers to jump in and not be dissuaded by the series' high numbering. The previous volume ended at 165 in January of 2018. With the move to IDW, Yusagi now shares a comic book home with Nickelodeon's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Kick ass! Which Sakai's <laughs> creator-owned character has crossed over with on numerous occasions in comics, action figures, and animation. Fuck yeah, I had that Yusagi Ujimbo action figure and it was the fucking coolest and carded. It sells for like $200 now. <laughs> Uh, we don't need to mention that. Uh, IDW's Yusagi Yojimbo number one is scheduled to debut in June. Matt Baum, is Dark Horse okay? I don't know. And Okay, let, let's just set this up in reality first. The last time we saw a Yusagi issue was October of last year. It was number seven of The Hidden, which was the end of that, that Yusagi miniseries. And it shipped 4,163. Oh, that is issues. not very many. So this is not like a major chunk of Dark Horse's sales going away, but I do think it is a sign of something scarier when a guy like Stan Sakai, who has been there since the beginning. Like a quarter almost, century. A quarter yeah. century almost. Why is he deciding to move unless he feels that it is a better decision for him to do it at IDW? It's weird. And yeah, and we've seen this happen with, with like, Buffy just yeah. uprooted and left. Well, all sorts uh, of things. Uh, yeah. Dark Horse has lost a lot lately. Star Wars, I mean, most notably, you know? Right. I mean, which, out of their hands, of course, Marvel and Disney. Only, yeah, Star Wars, Conan. Uh, Conan was a huge I'm one. I'm worried. I'm legitimately worried about Dark Horse comics. And I don't know that they can build a successful future on Predator and Aliens comics only. You know what? I think it's a matter of time before they lose those two. Really? I mean, I, this is, it's scary for them right now. And they put out a lot of good comics, but Dark Horse does not have the personality that it used to. You know what I mean? 
And Mike Magnola can only support them for so long, too. Oh, right. He's oh, one, God. He's one corner of that universe. Well, and Hellboy, like, he's closing. He's bringing that universe to a close. A lot of it, yeah. I mean, now, of course, it's going to restart and do something else. You know, they've got a movie coming out. It's not coming to a close. I think the one as we know it is coming to a close, maybe. But Hellboy's not going away. No way. I doubt that. So, mm, nerd bet. With that said, nerd I bet. Am, all right, nerd bet. Hellboy definitely returns. Oh, okay. Hold on. Yeah, no, you said it. You called your Hellboy shot. definitely returns is one thing, but I'm saying that within the next five years, uh, within the next three years, Hellboy as we know it is gone. No way. We'll see it again. There's a movie coming. Get out of here. Don't be, don't be stupid, Joe Patrick. The Come movie on. comes out this year. I get it. And they're going to try and make as much money as they can at Dark Horse on it because they just lost Yusagi Yojimbo and Star Wars and Buffy and so many other things. Dark Horse is in trouble. I'm worried about Dark Horse. Me too. That is your nerd news for the week. But I promise we missed everything while wearing our rabbit ears and swinging swords around like idiots. So hit us up on the THN forums, big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11.30 to 12.30 Central Standard Time, barring snowstorms and ice storms. It's been it's bad, y'all. Jesus Christ. You tell me climate change isn't happening, I'm going to slap your goddamn face, okay? It's like sports talk for nerds, but you control the content and... Insert. You want to be a flat earther or you want to fight with climate change? Call me. We'll do that there, too. All right. So call us at 402-819-4894. Or you can click the call now button on our Facebook page. It's that easy. Stop telling me. I don't know the number. And don't give me this. I like, can't call I in on. I can't call I in on Saturdays. Yeah. So don't call in on Saturday. Call me whenever you want. Leave a message. If you can't call in, maybe you live you know, across a pond or in Egypt or, I don't know, somewhere else. You can always send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Lithuania. That's not even a real place. That's a, that's a place. I'm kidding. My neighbor comes from there. She brings me really weird booze. I know the booze is great. God, no. I would argue it is not. Shout out to Yorkita. Spotlight review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I are chatting up queens and spider peeps while reviewing two of Wednesday's new comics. Matt, ladies first, my friend. Why, thank you. I am reviewing The Forgotten Queen, number one, from Valiant. It's spelled Valiant wrong. Not embarrassed of that. Written by Teeny Howard, <laughs> art by Amilcar Pina. Valiant. <laughs> 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Long ago. The mighty generals of the Mongol Empire rode from Siberia to Carpathia and conquered all who stood in their way. Legends tell of a witch who walked with them, who could infect their hearts of any warriors in her midst with an unquenchable thirst for battle and bloodshed. A warmonger! And now she walks again. This winter, an ancient evil will stir as rising star rider Tiny Howard. Maybe it's Tiny Howard. I don't know. And a powerhouse artist, Emilcar Pina, which I may be pronouncing wrong, unleash hell in a brand new saga of honor, love, and savagery that's centuries in the making. You're really covering all your bases here. I know. Your suggested soundtrack for this one is Emerar, I'm not saying that right, by Tinarween. I love him, okay? And there'll be a link to this. You can look it up. It's great. 
It seems like we've been following Teeny Howard's career since she was just a wee lass. And now look at her. She's all grown up, and she's taken on her first monthly title at Valiant. In true Valiant style, Howard sets up a time-spanning tale that follows a mysterious trickster witch that loves to use men's baser instincts to turn them against each other. The story sees the witch popping up all over history, and it seems to suggest she might be immortal. Another Valiant staple, of course, but this, I believe, would make her the first female in the Valiant Immortal Club. The story opens in the present-day Valiant U with a diving expedition looking for ancient armor that once belonged to Genghis Khan in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, which is weird, seeing as Genghis Khan ruled the desert steeps of northern Russia and China. While we don't get a hard connection between the two stories, Howard's script is definitely building to a very good mystery here. Amal Carpina is another artist slash inker that I've been watching develop her talent for a while now, and this is some of her best work to date. She's got a restrained style that reminds me of classic masters like Doug Braithwaite and Brent Anderson, but a very distinct, clean line that gives her all her characters real depth of emotion, almost like a like crisscross, if you will. This is another solid first issue introducing even more historical depth to the Valiant U, and it's nice to see Valiant giving a female creative team the reins for the first time, question mark? I'm not sure, but I'm giving this one a buy it. Uh, you know what? I did like this. I think crisscross is a good comparison. What I really thought of when I saw the art was Paul Gulacy. Ooh, yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, she's got yeah. uh, uh, Emil Carpina, who I did not know was a female. Shout out to all the ladies out there. Uh, <laughs> she does have, uh, she did have the, these kind of like very exaggerated faces, uh, which was a little bit off-putting at first. But as the book progressed, I really started to enjoy it. I love the historical aspect. I love the ties to uh, Genghis Khan. Yeah. And all of that stuff. Uh, and yeah, this is just another great, uh, valiant world building book. And you don't need to know anything about anything to enjoy it. I'm giving it a buy it. Joe Patrick, with great responsibility, comes another great Spider Man event. Take us into The Hunted, parts one. I will. Uh, my review this week is of Amazing Spider-Man 16 from Marvel Comics. It's written by Nick Spencer with art by Ryan Otley and Alberto Albuquerque. It is 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. The road to hunted starts here. The biggest Amazing Spider-Man story of the year starts next month. Sorry, guys. It starts next month. <laughs> so don't miss this prologue. The Craven thread gets woven into Spider-Man's life in a terrifying way that puts Spidey on the road to ruin. Fair warning. Despite what the solicit says, Spider-Man does not appear in this issue at all. That's not true. He shows up in the end. He does He's got a whole other story in the end. No, he does not. Yeah, there's a backup story with Spider-Man. Ryan Otley does the first story. Alberto Albuquerque does the second story. What the fuck? No, hold on. Y yes, dude, I read it. Spider-Man is sick after his battle with the Black Ant and the Taskmaster who are gathering all the characters and shit. There's a whole nother story. What the shit? Yeah, dude. It turns out I only read half this issue. Jesus Christ. 
I got to the I got to the letters page and I was like, well, that's over. I guess. Yeah, and on the letters page it says like, did you notice Spider Man didn't appear in the last nineteen pages? Don't fret, here he is. It was only nineteen pages long. That didn't throw All right. <laughs> Come uh, on. Look, to be fair. I read this at work over my lunch break. So did I! And I was pressed for time, and I just missed it. Uh, okay, so Spider-Man is in this issue. Matt can speak to that later on. I will review, to the, I will review the second half. All right, that's, that's great. Uh, I've been kind of lukewarm on Nick Spencer's run on the book so far, but now he's setting up one of my favorite Spidey villains for a huge comeback. This issue takes Craven the Hunter on a real roller coaster involving Arcade, the High Evolutionary, Stegrom the Dinosaur Man, and what, for a second, appeared to be Craven recruiting a bunch of millionaire fat cats for some kind of supervillain pyramid scheme. Spencer does a great job breaking down the Hunter's recent history, showing us what happened to his old family, and introducing us to his new one. The writer also uses Craven's voice to share some choice opinions about rich people coming to Africa to hunt big game for sport. I'm not sure what Craven's end game is yet, especially with regard to the rich hunters that he seemingly partners with, but Spencer has definitely intrigued me here. Okay, if you read the second half, you would absolutely know. All right. All right. Look, my this is my bad, my bad. I messed up. They spell it out. All they right, all fine. they spell it out. <laughs> uh, I don't think anyone though can be lukewarm about Ryan Otley's art. His bombastic style is so unique, and I think he's a perfect fit for a Spider-Man title. He's able to go from intensely savage action to more tender moments at the drop of a hat. Plus, he's just as capable setting a scene, whether it's the verdant plains of africa or posh or a posh auditorium full of tuxedo clad bitters and costume lunatics uh i said something about not knowing what albert alberto albuquerque did but <laughs> matt can speak to that uh overall though i thought the lead story looked great as the issue progressed and i started to get a better sense of what craven was planning i got more and more excited about it this issue is a great prelude to a storyline that looks like it'll be a total blast i'm giving it a buy it the first half anyway the first uh, half, yeah the second half saw a sick spider-man who had just finished his battle with the black ant and the taskmaster who it turns out were rounding up bad guys for the rich fat cats to actually hunt yeah yeah i didn't like want to say most I didn't want to say too much about that because it's a pretty big spoiler. But Well, it's pretty obvious within the first few pages of what's going on here. I did not like the art by Albuquerque. I, I just didn't work for me at all. There were aspects of the second story that I also didn't care about, like Dr. Kirk Connors having a lizard family I don't know about that lives in the sewers and plays house, more or less. He's got, like, a lizard wife and a cute lizard kid, and they're just, you know, a family. Like, that's I mean, fucking it's dumb. His, it's his existing wife and kid. They're just infected by the lizard formula. It's stupid. It's stupid. I didn't like it. Oh, come I didn't on. Care like, you haven't read way dumber stuff in superhero I comics. feel like Nick Spencer is trying too hard to Dan Slott Spider-Man, and it's just 
not working. I'm fine with the Craven storyline in the beginning, and it's somewhat clever. It's also pretty ridiculous to think that all these rich, fat cat people are going to be able to go kill the rhino. That's dumb. I'm sorry, but this is not working for me. Well, I'm only giving it a skimming. But we don't know what Craven's plan is because his Craven's plan is to get these rich people killed, apparently, and they believe that they can hunt these guys. I mean, it. Well, sure, okay, but yeah, that's that's interesting though. He's tricking them. I'm just saying. I don't I feel understand like Nick why you have Spencer, a problem with that. I feel like Nick Spencer is out of his element here, and he's trying to continue what Dan Slott was doing, and it's not working for me. I'm giving it a skimming. Ryan Otley is so talented it's ridiculous and i love him drawing this book and he he's made for this and i'm glad he's getting paid i wish somebody else was writing it i'm giving it a skim it dang all right then so that is a skim it and a buy it for amazing spider-man 16 and a double buy it for the forgotten queen number one we'll post our written reviews over at twoheadednerd.com so you can hunt us down and make us pay for them later egoist in charge finally on his way to vietnam after dodging the draft twice when the trip actually counted joe and i have pulled on our combat boots cut the sleeves off our shirts and taken a shitload of drugs joey it's time for us to get dropped into the shit and review eight more of this wednesday's new comics during the ludicrous speed round ludicrous speed go captain america number eight from marvel I didn't plan on reviewing this one, but Adam Kubert absolutely blew me away with his heavily stylized art in this issue that sees Cap in a private black site prison run by Baron Strucker. Coates' script was brutal and mean, and I admit, I have a serious soft spot for supervillains in prison story. <laughs> Seriously, though, Adam Kubert is goddamn amazing on this issue. Huge buy it. The Terrifics, number 13, from DC. I randomly decided to check back in with this series after falling off a couple issues in. It is a total blast. It's still great. It's still completely great. Jeff Lemire and Joe Bennett, who is doing double duty with Immortal Hulk, he better not leave that book, are taking the team on a very silver agey romp through the multiverse, complete with an evil version of the team called The Dreadfuls. <laughs> One of them is a, like a robot version of Metamorpho. I think it's called Metal Metal Morpho. It's amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of bizarre cross-hatching going on, which I'm chalking up to Inker Dexter Vines, but it didn't really hinder my enjoyment. DC's new age of heroes may slowly be petering out, but I'm glad the Terrifics is still going strong. Buy it. Captain Marvel, Braver, and My Dear One-Shot from Marvel. Jody Hauser writes this perfectly bland but cute standalone issue that kind of might be a good way to introduce Carol to new readers, but the issue spends most of its time with two plucky teens arguing about what question they'll ask her at the Air Force Q&A she's hosting. In the meantime, Cap punches some nameless alien spaceships beautifully drawn by Simone Buonfantino? Buonfantino. But... Nothing else happens in this issue, so I'm giving it a skim it. Batgirl, number 32, from DC. I've really been enjoying this run by writer Mayor Grid Scott and artists Paul Pelletier and Jordi Belair. Mayor Grid Scott is great. She wrote a bunch of Transformers stuff for IDW that kicked ass. Babs is working for a controversial political candidate by day and working to protect her from assassination as Batgirl by... 
uh, also day. A lot of it takes place during the day. <laughs> Scott has a good sense of Barbara's character and her reunion with the sinister question mark. Jason Bard has been a lot of fun. The book looks great, too. I've been a fan of Paul Pelletier since the 90s. Yeah, he's too good. Batgirl 32 gets a buy it. Punk's not dead. London calling number one from IDW, Black Crown. David Barnett's absurdist romp through the UK continues when Fiergal, now wanted for murder, and his punk rock ghost buddy Sid head to London in search of dad. Of course, a witch from MI5 is also looking for Fergie and friend, and absolute wackiness ensues. Martin Simmons paints the hell out of this spastic, ADD-inducing issue with the style of Daniel Acuna and the line of Phil Noto, Punk's Not Dead is funny, it's bizarre, and it is so freaking British. I'm giving it a bite. I mean, so it is definitely Sid Vicious, right? No, it's not. It's more the spirit of punk rock. And right. since Sid Vicious was such a faker himself, of course he just chooses the name Sid. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Sense. Fair enough. The Flash, number 65 from DC. This issue concludes another Batman-Flash crossover, this time dealing with the apparent death of Wally West in Heroes in Crisis, a book which, in, which can go fuck itself. <laughs> While Gotham Girl makes her destructive return. Nothing really gets resolved, and the characters are just a little bit more worse off than they were before. The whole dour affair is elevated by Rafa Sandoval's amazing artwork, which yeah, is the I, entire reason why I wanted to review this issue. That dude is super talented. I want Rafa Sandoval to illustrate all of DC's comics, but it's not enough for me to give Flash 65 more than a very half-hearted skim it. Who's writing it? Joshua Williamson. It's still Williamson. Okay. Yeah. Sweetie, number one from Action Lab. Created, written, and drawn by Sean Dillon, Sweetie is the manga graffiti-inspired adventures of a little girl that practices superhero moves until she becomes one. Sweetie lives her life as a hyper-confident anime character, and Dillon uses some of the humor tropes we've seen in manga and anime to move the story along. Shit that I can't really stand. This is probably fun reading for a 10 to 12 year old, but it doesn't have the creativity to reach out to an older audience. But Sweetie isn't made for me, so give me the skim. Fair. Age of X Man. The Extremists. Get it? Yeah. Extremists. Huh? Number one from Marvel, just when you thought they'd run out of X Men. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's been zero weeks since the last time we checked in on the Age of X-Man, but this time I wasn't that into it. Technically, it's been one week. I guess. <laughs> the the extremists are X-Man's enforcers rounding up and mind-wiping those mutants that break this world's strict code of individuality, meaning no smooching. Oh, that's bullshit! The... Lovers are forcibly broken up, their romance completely erased from memory, with implications that their fates may be even more severe, but boy, do the extremists love to banter. George's Janty's art is stellar, but Leah Williams' script is so precious. Like, it's trying too hard to be clever. Like... Why on earth do the X-Men drive around in an old VW van? Because they're fucking hippies. I don't know. It's <laughs> stupid. I loved the art. 
but the dialogue is straight out of a 90s WB teen drama. I'm giving the extremists a skim it. By the way, I think uh, Georges is just pronounced George. It's like an old school spelling. Okay. Regardless, George Janty kicks ass. That he dude's does so kick talented. Ass. Yes. Oh, man. Bagel! That is your ludicrous speed round in. Bagel! It's the sound of Spider Man throwing a bagel at a scientist. As seen in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Now Pardon available me. on digital and DVD Blu-ray. As seen in the Oscar award-winning Spider-Man shit. Into the Spider-Verse. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Jimmy Randall via the THN Facebook fan page. They it's thanked true. Bendis on the Oscars. It was incredible. I Seriously, I squealed like a little girl. I'm I so squealed. excited it about it. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can smear it on any of our social media or shoot us an email to a two-headed nerd at gmail.com. Because it's a bagel. Get it? Yes. And you put a schmear on a bagel. Right. With Mardi Gras right around the corner, I've pulled out all our favorite voodoo artifacts in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum with a ton of red candles and released both our albino alligators, Hugin and Munin. I'm always talking about them. I love those guys. Matt Bomb, this should be just the amount of juju we need to talk about our must-read picks for next week. And are we being just a little bit racist? No. I okay. Mean, voodoo, man. Voodoo's for everybody. All right. Jesus. All right. God. I, I just want to make sure. Mines are like parachutes, Joe. Okay. My pick for next week is The Six Million Dollar Man. Number one from Dynamite. It's written by Christopher Hastings with art by David Hahn. It is 32 pages for $3.99. And here is your solicitor. Oh, David Hahn. I haven't seen his name in forever. I love David Hahn. Christopher Hastings! The Unbelievable Gwenpool, Secret Agent Deadpool, Adventure Time, I Am Groot, and David Hahn! Batman 66, Bombshells United, which I didn't read, proudly present a story from a time when there wasn't internet, but there were cyborgs! It's the 1970s! Things are going great! Steve Austin, used to be an astronaut, now he has robo parts and a laser eye, heads to Japan to help secret agent Nico Abe stop a madman with missiles. Steve figures, no sweat, but then, sweat. How's Steve <laughs> going to complete his mission when his fancy $6 million body parts starts drastically depreciating in value? <laughs> That's fun. Okay, here's Dynamite fucked up in trying to do the $6 million man in modern time. Sure, right. And $6 million bucks, it doesn't buy you the cyborg parts that it used yeah, to Yeah, in anymore. terms of the military-industrial complex, $6 million exactly. is nothing. No, like you can buy a car for $6 million <laughs> if you really want I think to. they paid $6 million to, to study the, uh, the flow of ketchup out of a ketchup bottle. As a friend of mine likes to say, he'd spend $6 million to watch chickens fuck, you know? I don't know what that means, but it's like an old saying, apparently. Yeah, it's an old <laughs> saying. Everyone knows the age-old saying. Joe Patrick, what is your pick for next week? Uh, my pick for next week is Black Hammer 45, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Jeff Lemire and Ray Fox, with art by Matt Kent. It This is like a team-up of every indie darling. I love that Matt Kent is drawing this. It's, I love it. I love it. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. During the golden age of superheroes, an elite Air Force crew called the Black Hammer Squadron 
was formed to fight the Axis powers. They're the Blackhawks! That's all they are! They're the Blackhawks! With occult threats from the German side, this team must save a family of scientists from the Nazis. But the mysterious and dangerous Ghost Hunter is hot on their trail. From the world of Black Hammer comes a truly gripping tale of war and intrigue. So Jeff Lemire's just like, fuck it, I am going to cover every genre of yeah, comics right. look, I love and look, crush it into the Black Hammer universe. You love the Legion of Superheroes? No problem. I got you. You like the yeah. Blackhawks and Nick Fury and the Holland Commandos? No problem. Go. I got you. Everything fits in the Black Hammer universe, and I love it. And I it's love so goddamn good. all the world building it that he does. It is so goddamn good. A, a buddy of mine at work came up and was like, Jeff Lemire is so talented. I just read Ascender, and then I read Descender, and they were both great. And I said, have you read Black Hammer? And he said, I don't read Cape Comics. And I slapped him. And well, then I stood over him, and I said, you fucking go buy those goddamn books well, and fucking read I mean, them. And he cried, and he ran away. And he was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he showed up today, and he was like, I picked up the first trade paperback. Oh, my God. This is good. Well, he read Descender. Uh, Ascender is not out yet. Oh, sorry. He read Descender. Yeah, yeah. that's right. My bad. But still, yeah, absolutely. I Everything that Jeff Lemire is doing with the Black Hammer universe is 100% correct and a love letter to yes. every genre of comics that they homage. And I, I feel the same way about Black Hammer that I felt about Astro City back in the day. For real. Absolutely, dude. It's just, it's incredible. I can't wait. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Fire, the trade paperback. It's a new edition from DC Comics slash Jinx World. It is written and illustrated by Brian Michael Bendis. You may not have known that. The man was also a fairly good artist. Some pages. A drawer. $14.99. That is so cheap. Here's your solicit. Loosely based on events in the American intelligence community during the Reagan administration, Fire tells the unique and powerful story of a young man's journey from quiet college student to the complex world of international intelligence. From crime noir master... Brian Michael Bendis comes the now classic tale in an all-new edition. Imagine that you are a shy, quiet college student, just an average guy, trying to get through each day as best as he can. Then your government contacts you. They want you to be a part of an experiment in the art of human covert operations. Instead of creating an agent from someone within their own ranks, they want to create an agent from nobody, from scratch, from you. This definitive presentation of the Eisner Award-winning Brian Michael Bendis' first cinematic noir comic features remastered art and lettering, plus a newly revised script. What the fuck does that mean? Fire was so good. Uh, Bendis was very famous with um, basing a lot of his characters from these books on existing actors. Yeah. And uh, the, <laughs> uh, the dude, the main character's handler... In Fire is based on Candace Bergen from Murphy Brown. Nice. That's <laughs> it's awesome. amazing. Okay, so was it Caliber that first put this out? Uh, yes. Fire okay. and Goldfish first came out yeah. in single-issue format from Caliber Comics. Brian Michael uh, Bendis was ripped off by Caliber Comics, like a lot of other creators. They were later paid. collected <laughs> into trades by uh, Image, probably, right? Yes, that's where we picked them up. It's when they actually Image put them out as single issues as well. I think I don't think so. They didn't. They just put them out as trade. Uh, maybe Goldfish. Uh, yeah, Goldfish uh, Jinx, definitely. Or Jinx, rather. It's yeah. all. It's all a blur. The the nineties were a long time ago. Um, but I remember picking up the original. We were trades. on so much cocaine, oh, dude. So. Dudes, 
Woo, baby. Just constant screaming and sweating at Krypton Comics. Back yeah, that's day. right. That's right. <laughs> I remember picking up the original trades from Dragon's Lair in Omaha. And, uh, like, I read them till they fell apart, mostly because the quality of the trades were not very good. Oh, yeah, they were garbage. And the glue just, like, let go. But uh, I love Fire. I love all of the early Bendis stuff. Oh, it was Super great, excited man. for this to be back in print. Yeah, that shit twisted our heads off, and that was way before he did any superhero stuff. Oh, yeah, yep, definitely, before anything, anything Marvel. So there you have our picks for Wednesday, March 6th. But we want to know what you nerds are reading, too. So after you're done taking your tops off for beads and puking in the streets, please make sure to add all of your picks to your poll file. It's just the right thing to do and the nerdy thing. Your comic book retailer will appreciate it. If you've visited twoeditednerd.com or listened to our cover-to-cover show, you've probably heard the tragic tale of our friend J.D. Ketchum, or as we call him, J.D. Gotta Catch Em All. You see, J.D. lives in a pocket dimension of time where he can only read comics that came out six months ago with the Marvel Unlimited app. And now it's time for J.D.'s first audio edition of Tales from the Marvel Lake House. Reporting for the shores of a subterranean lake in the neighboring chamber of the Ziggurat, it's your weekly update from the Marvel Lake House for the week of August 8th, 2018. So this week, everyone's favorite conservative Ken doll, Mike Pence, launched Space Force because apparently immigrants come from space too. Rumors are circulating that Idris Elba could be our next 007, and a man stole a jet lighter from Seattle International Airport. So pretty much business as usual. In this week's batch of books from the House of Ideas, it seems that secret identities coming to life are all the rage. Daredevil 606 by Charles Soule and Phil Noto. We have a story spinning out of the vestigial organ of an event that was the hunt for Wolverine. This is actually a pretty good little back-to-basic story if it weren't for the last page of a reveal. I thought this could be a return to form for the book, and I was almost hopeful. Phil Noto's art was next level and looking like a culmination of great Daredevil artists of the past with a little something new thrown in. I liked the hook with Hammerhead trying to make his heist as noisy and noticeable as possible. And the inclusion of McGee and Reader from the Inhumans was interesting, though I'm probably the only one in the THN group that likes Reader, or the Inhumans, or McGee. Well, I do wish the meeting of Daredevil and a fellow blind character wasn't marred by the whole secret identity retcon thing. Speaking of secret identities, the final page revealed that Matt's other alter ego, Mike Murdoch, is a completely separate living person was a little stuntish. Especially with what's happening in Spencer's Amazing, we'll touch on that in a bit. It'll be somewhat interesting to see where Soul takes it, though if his track record is anything to go by with this arc, the first two-thirds of the book are the closest we're going to get to a decent Daredevil. I hope in the future we can get a reboot from someone like Kelly Sue DeConnick, or hell, let's see if Marvel can poach Tom Taylor in return for Bendis and get give him a run on the old horn head. I'm going to say buy it for the first two-thirds of the book in Noto. Leave it for the final reveal. Amazing Spider-Man by Nick Spencer with art by Ryan Atley, Cliff Rothburn, Laura Martin. 
My screenwriting teacher in college used to say of stories with too much lead up, man, that house has a long front porch. While we're only three issues into Spencer's run, I'm starting to wonder if we're going to see the house. While there's the strangely reminiscent reveal of Spidey and Peter being separated, see above Daredevil, we do get some detail on the how they were separated, though Spencer's weird use of flashback and flash forward, coupled with some strange non sequitur panels by the art team, make the why and just the story in general a little muddled. I know a lot of people were worried about Spencer taking on the character. I was actually hopeful. I was a big fan of the Deadly Foes of Spider-Man book, and I was hoping for more of the same. But the stunt of separating Spidey and Pete feels stuntish, and for Spidey, old hat. Uh, couple that with the Mike Murdock reveal in Daredevil, I'm just left scratching my head. Usually I'm a fan of occasionally siloing the ground-level heroes to give us a break from events, but I really feel like Spencer and Soul could have talked to each other and, I don't know, maybe rock, paper, scissors, drew straws to see who got the clone bit. Overall, Nick Spencer is giving us a more familiar Spidey, but the cloning shenanigans may be a bad move. Even the hope of Otley coming off of his run of Invincibles felt lackluster here. Skim it at best. In brighter news... Champions number 23. We have Jim Zub writing, Francesco Mann on pencils, Kevin LeBrand on inks, and Mauricio Menez on colors. I'm really happy this book came out this week because I like to have at least one book that I enjoyed to talk about, and this book has yet to disappoint. Jim Zub has an excellent feel for these characters. He's done an excellent job of giving them a unique purpose beyond the Kid Avengers or some B-team. Their focus and aim are different than the Avengers. Zub's inclusion of the Inuit character Snowguard gives a good magic counterpoint to the normally science-heavy team. The inclusion of Man-Thing in this issue is a clever way to approach Viv-Vision's issues with emotion, something that definitely seems to run in her family. The art for Mana and Lebranda is dynamic and delightfully messy, giving a chaotic feel in the action scenes while still being clear in the storytelling. In a time where there seems to be a dearth of fun books from Marvel, Zub and co. on Champions never disappoint. Buy it. And that's it from Marvel Lake House. This is JD Gotta Catch, signing off. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for teaching 520, and I'll be honest, folks, 521 isn't looking much better. A lot of snow in the forecast for Friday, Matt. <laughs> a lot of we, snow. Before we get out of here, Joe Patrick. Set up the same goddamn question of the week we've had for two goddamn weeks. For the third week in a row, the question of the week comes from Trevor via the THN forums. Hey, but I'm putting my own spin on it, so get ready. Hey, nerds, reading is fundamental, so let's get literary. There are currently a whole slew of films and TV shows based on popular book series for example, Amazon's Lord of the Rings and the Wheel of Time shows, Dennis Villeneuve's Dune, and any possible Stephen King book that Hollywood can get their paws on. But there can always be more. What book or book series would you want to see adapted or readapted that's not already in the works? Uh, my spin on it is. What book or book series would you want to see adapted specifically for comic books? Got my answer already. Me too. 
If you're new to this goddamn show and you couldn't understand a goddamn word of it, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough of this goddamn crap. The good news is you can hear the entire goddamn run of THN in our goddamn digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many goddamn episodes, it ain't goddamn cheap. So we want to thank goddamn donors like Matt Goddamn Truesdale. God damn it, Truesdale. This guy has been donating and supporting the show for years with no recognition. You dumb son of a bitch. What are you doing with your money, Matt? <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Copra Mastermind Michelle FIFA. His love letter to the 1980s Suicide Squad just got picked up by Image Comics with new editions of the current volumes coming soon. Now you jerks don't have any excuse for not reading this insane masterpiece. Word to you, Michelle. How did this take so long? I know. That's crazy, right? No. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might take a hell of a long time to put them in your profile. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.